Thank you so much, uh, Becky, um, for reading that word. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Matt here, for those who don't know me, um, it's just fantastic to be starting a brand new series today. And we're looking together uh, at the book of Acts, such an exciting book, just so packed full of things to learn, things to be amazed by and things to seek God for. Um, really uh, pleased to be starting this off this morning. Our series is called When Jesus Builds His Church, When Jesus Builds His Church. So if you've got Bibles, please do have them, um, have them open. We're looking at Acts 1, 1 to 14, as Becky read this morning. Now, I don't know where you're sat. I'm sat in a conservatory surrounded by all sorts of bits and pieces. You just get to see this bit, but all around me are all sorts of things. I wonder uh, where you're sat and if you just look around what you're surrounded by. You see, we're all surrounded by so many familiar and I guess mundane things in our lives that we take for granted. Um, furniture, ornaments, the watch on your wrist, the computer, I guess, or tablet that you're watching on, the shoes you're wearing. Um, if you're in the kitchen, you might see a toaster or a hoover, a microwave, a dishwasher, a packet of beans, a packet of beans, a can of beans, a packet of spaghetti. Um, there's so many things that we have around us and we just take them all for granted in this modern life. Yet not a single one of them appeared by chance. All of them, if you like, have a backstory. Could we bring up the PowerPoint, please, Richard? And I want us to think about origins this morning, the origin stories of things. I mean, we'd ask the questions like take any single object, like where did it come from? How did it come into existence? Who invented it or discovered it? Uh, how did I end up with a clipper tea bag in a Bodum China cup uh, with a splash of Asda West Country milk? And if we were to explore that, we'd be taken on a voyage of history and sociology and science and technology and politics and agriculture and economics that would probably fascinate and surprise us. But hey, we haven't got time for that. Let's just enjoy sipping our tea. Yeah? But you know, sometimes knowing the origin story behind something can actually really help us understand it better. Sometimes rediscovering the how and the why behind something actually can inspire us, utterly change our thinking about it. This morning, as I've said, we're starting our new series called When Jesus Builds His Church. We're going to have the utter privilege over the next uh, term of exploring the origins of something that so many of us who tuned in this morning probably actually take for granted as a reality of our day to day lives. We're going to be looking at this. Well, not just local, not just national, but multinational history shaping, utterly extraordinary movement that is still growing and still shaping the lives of billions of people in almost every country in the world, nearly 2,000 years after its beginning. Certainly some dreadful things have been done throughout history by those purporting to be part of the church. They've used its name but actually they've misused it and twisted its values and yet still the church has carried on as a light shining in the darkness and billions of people have come to know life-changing hope healing forgiveness purpose meaning and have come to a real relationship with father god through jesus christ just like rob was praying about 
And this is all because of the witness and testimony of the church. You see, even for those who are not part of a church, they couldn't deny the impact, the social, political, economic, uh, educational uh, impact, uh, legal impact that the church has made, architectural impact, you name it, on the modern world, on society, on the world throughout history. But how did it all begin? How did such an enormous and extraordinary movement that we take for granted so often actually begin? Well, the wonderful thing is we have the most amazing insight into how it all began. The book of Acts right here in our Bibles. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, you're looking half uh, the first half of uh, the Bible is called the Old Testament. And we come into the New Testament, which begins to uh, talk about the, the life and work of Jesus. And then we get to this book, Acts. And here it is right here. In our Bible, and it tells us the incredible story of how a tiny group of the earliest brothers and sisters went on to start this movement that would utterly change the world. And in fact, as we go through this series, we're going to discover and we're going to focus on the fact that at every stage it wasn't actually them that did it. Just like Meg was talking about, it wasn't them who really started this movement, but it was Jesus who started it. It was Jesus who built his church and continues to build his church even today by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. So let's be honest, friends, as Creech Baptist Church, we are sat at a moment in history. And we're beginning to plan how we might step forward into this new post-lockdown season. But I don't want us to think that, oh, well, Matt's showing us Acts. We need to kind of copy exactly what we discover in Acts, as if we're in the exact same situation and context. We're really not. We can no more recreate the early church than we can recreate the ancient Roman Empire. But my prayer is that as we see how Jesus began to build and shape his church in those earliest days of extraordinary challenge and growth, that we might too catch some of the founding values and passions that were set in motion all those years ago, so that we might be inspired to press in for more of Jesus, invite him to move more amongst us, to shape us for the challenges that we face. We're not looking for the church to be restored back to exact historical context and ways of the earliest Christians, but our prayer is as we look again at the origins of church and how it all began, We might be renewed and refreshed and inspired again as we step forward into all that Jesus has got for me and you, for us as his people today. Can we go to the next slide? So let's look together with fresh eyes and expectant hearts at the beginning of it all. And as we wind right back to the beginning of church, we'll see that it all began. Next slide, please. With a little group of ordinary people. And a wonderful promise. And that's where we want to start this morning. So let's start with this promise. You see, it was a promise from Jesus that said this. I will come to you. I will come to you. You see, Jesus made this promise to his disciples Whilst he was uh, with them, before he ascended back to heaven, before his resurrection and after his resurrection, this promise that although he was going to leave them physically and return to heaven, he was actually going to come back and be with them through the presence of his Holy Spirit. You see, the task that lay ahead 
simply couldn't be done without Jesus. Without me, he told them, you cannot bear fruit. Remain in me and me in you and you will bear fruit. Don't be afraid, he said. I will come to you. We read in John 14, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, you will realize that I'm in the father and you are in me and I am in you. You see, even though Jesus says it will be the spirit who comes from the father that he's promising, He also says that when the spirit comes, when he comes and lives in you, you will realise that I have come to live in you. Jesus does this amazing thing of saying, when the spirit comes, I am here. Whoa. When the spirit comes, I am with you. He's quite happy to make clear that whilst the father and the son and the spirit are three distinct persons, yet they are one. He even goes on to say, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's no surprise then that the early church recognised that the Holy Spirit was sent by the father and by the son. And yet also recognised as the presence of the father and the son with them. And the spirit was with them and in them. They realised that Jesus was dwelling in them and actually This was so profound to them that they began to call the Holy Spirit the spirit of Jesus. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, we read in Philippians. And in Acts, we read, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And in Galatians 4, because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And now you can call God your dear father. Wow. You see, the plan was never that Jesus would abandon his church, but rather that he would build his church just as he promised Peter. And he would bring about the fulfillment of his kingdom through his people, filled with the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. This was his promise. I will come to you. And this is the promise at the very origins of the church. And so as Luke begins the book of Acts, we read, he says, my first book was all about the things that Jesus began to do and teach through the Holy Spirit before he was taken up into heaven. This book then, Acts, which really is the second half of Luke. So if you've read the Gospel of Luke, this is Luke chapter two, if you like. This can be considered to explain all the things that Jesus continued to do. If Luke is all about the things Jesus did before he went to heaven, this Acts is about all the things that Jesus continued to do after he ascended to heaven through his Holy Spirit with his people. As Mig said, we can call it not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit in his people. You see, it's crucial to notice in those final 40 days before Jesus ascended what it was he actually spoke to them about. What was Jesus going to press home to them before he ascended to heaven? Well, there are two key things. We read he taught them about the kingdom of God 
And he promised them that the Holy Spirit was coming. In fact, I want to tell you, these two things are utterly inseparable. You see, God's perfect plan has always been that his wonderful kingdom rule will be experienced on earth just as it is in heaven. And this was always Jesus's emphasis, always from the moment he began preaching. He began to declare the kingdom of God is near to how he taught us to pray to every miracle and act of love, to the very last thing he teaches his disciples before he ascends, Jesus was saying and demonstrating that the kingdom of God, folks, it's breaking in. And he's calling his followers to come and join with him in bringing about this reality, bringing about the justice, the hope, the love, the power of the kingdom of God on earth, just as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come is now the declaration, the mission, the prayer, of his people, of his church. Let your kingdom come, Lord. And one day, at the end of time, folks, his kingdom will have come in all its fullness. We've been thinking about it over the past few weeks as we've been exploring together. The kingdom of God, the rule of God will have come in all its fullness. And then God's forgiven people, redeemed people, set free, rejoicing in his peace and his love and his presence. See, as the concluding comments in Revelation tell us, then there will be no more death or crying or mourning. The great goal of God's plan will finally come to pass. As the mighty cry in Revelation declares, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The great completion, folks, of the kingdom is when God's permanent dwelling will finally be with us and ours with him. You see, there can be no kingdom without the presence of the king. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, it's utterly hopeless. You're trying to bring about the kingdom without the presence of the king with you. He says, don't for a second think you can do anything without me being with you. No, do not even leave Jerusalem, guys, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, he says, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait until the Spirit comes and soaks you like the waters of John's baptism, Jesus says. Get drenched in my presence as I come to you in power. Be filled to overflowing before you take a single step. You know, we need to realise in that regard that nothing has changed. The presence of Jesus among us by his Spirit is not just an optional extra or a side sort of fan club for folks that like that sort of thing but it's right at the heart of all we do and who we are as church the presence of jesus is central it's vital to every next step we take for without the king there can be no kingdom without jesus there will be no fruit without the spirit there be no church so it all began with this wonderful promise i will come to you And amazingly, this wonderful promise was given to a little group of ordinary people. I guess a bit like us. But who were these so-called ordinary people that Jesus would call to join him in building his 
church. I mean, surely they were something pretty special to be entrusted with what we could really say is the most significant assignment in all of history. Imagine for a moment if you were going to cook a really special meal. I don't know if you can cook or not, but imagine you were tasked with it. Perhaps a meal to really impress your wife or a loved one, uh, your husband maybe, is a celebrate a really important anniversary. Would you go to the local shell garage and browse through the Ginsters pasties and the Scotch eggs, the Monster Munch and the Red Bull? Probably not. You'd probably go to the butcher if you're a meat eater and get the finest cut of steak or an organic farmer and get the very best vegetables and buy the best French wine or champagne that you could afford. So who would Jesus choose as his raw ingredients, if you like, of his church, tasked with the most important mission of all time? Would he go to the father and say, right, if we're going to do this, then I'm going to need the very best of the best. If we even stand a chance, we're going to need some pretty exceptional people. The smartest, the toughest, the quickest, the most talented. I want organic prime cuts. I want the very best. Or no, he began the church with that same little group of ragtag followers who were for the last three years, well, for the last three years had tried their best to basically learn from him, tried to keep up with him and at least occasionally not totally misunderstand him and completely put their foot in it and let him down which they were so prone to do the truth is we read this first part of acts we discover that this little group of people still didn't really have a clue what was going on we can go to the next slide we read after everything jesus had taught them about the inbreaking of kingdom of god and after the promise of the holy spirit they still turn around to him and ask so um Jesus, just uh, just listening to that, just to clarify, um, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's one of those moments when you wouldn't be surprised if Jesus utterly groaned and hits his head on the table after everything. Three years and you're still banging on about the same old thing. You see, they were carrying in their minds how they felt God should do stuff, what they felt. Uh, his plan should be their own plan really uh, what they wanted to achieve and it was all about the local political and military state of their own nation but rather than cut them down Jesus in his grace simply says okay that's not for you to know right now put aside your own human speculation the times and dates these do not belong to you they're for the father to know however there is something huge that is for you It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you receive him, you are going to be my witnesses. Yes, in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, their vision was tiny in comparison to the mission God had for them. His plan was so much bigger than they could ever have realised. His plan was for them to utterly transform the world and... To be honest, if they tried to grasp that at that point, they'd probably just have frozen in shock and fright. They'd have probably locked the door and never come out. It's too big. They could never do that. I mean, it's easy for us looking back now to say, well, they could. But if they'd have realised that this little bunch of people were called to change the world, I mean, what were they going to do? Okay, chaps, um, get out a bit of paper and pen or a papyrus and some ink uh, changing the world how do we start you see they were learning actually 
that they needed to trust that they were part of God's plan. It was his plan, not theirs, that was what matters. It was his ways, not ours. As the prophet says in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. The heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, this is a truth that every generation of church since has needed to realise. If you're a new Christian, you're still trying to explore what God's all about. Don't worry if you don't understand it all. Know, all of us, that we are part of God's big plan. And for a few years, you and I, clueless as we often are, we're called to play our part, whatever that might be. We're called to follow him, to be his witnesses. We're called to seek his kingdom, to live out his ways, to share his compassion, to testify in all we do to the good news that Jesus is alive, that he is Lord and King, that he is Saviour and Friend, and that in him there is full forgiveness, and through him a relationship with Father God that we were all made for, we were all created for, and all of us are lost without. Friends, perhaps more than ever right now, we may feel like we don't understand in that big plan how we fit and what we're going through really uh, is part of it. But that's okay. I just want to say we can utterly rest confident in the fact that God is on the throne. He knows the beginning from the end, even if we don't know which way up to hold the map. Probably got it upside down and back to front most of the time. Perhaps now more than ever, we need to be seeking his ways, not ours. His priorities, not our bugbears or our hobby horses. Church may look and feel different going forward to what I'm comfortable with or you're comfortable with, but that's okay. We need to lay down our own agendas and say, come, Lord Jesus, have your way. Have your way among us going forward. And do you know what the spirit is stirring up some new and wonderful things in you guys? I've had so many emails of folks saying, I just feel the spirit is saying this way. Maybe not even that language. I just sense God might be wanting me to do this. And there are ways of how we can reach out with Jesus's compassion, how we can love our community, how we can show practically and spiritually that Jesus is here and that he loves this world and that we have a message of good news for the broken and the lost and the hurting. And I just want to say to that, yes, Lord, more of that. Let's do this. Let's follow him together, whatever it looks like. Church is changing, but let's not be afraid. Let's be obedient to the spirit as we go forward. So having spoken his final words about God's amazing plan for the world that they're going to be part of and the wonderful promise of the spirit coming to be with them. It's at this point that Jesus returns back before their eyes to heaven. We call it ascending, going up, but he didn't just shoot up like a rocket up into space. No, he returned to the heavenly realm where he sits in the right hand side of God. Ruling, that's where he is today. Jesus is in heaven. And he's reigning. We read that the cloud covers him from the horizon. Don't think it's just an ordinary bit of precipitation. This is going to be similar to the cloud of transfiguration, the top of that mountain. It's the cloud of God's glory that cloaked Jesus and then he was not with them any more. His risen physical body went into the heavenly realms and the disciples are just left awestruck. 
awestruck and, if I'm honest, yet again, totally clueless. And that's all right. And they all end up just looking into the sky thinking, right, it must be something to do with the clouds. It's as if no one has a clue what to do now. They just keep staring at you can imagine, you know. Uh, so is that it? Um, I have absolutely no idea. Peter, what are you doing? What, me? Yeah, well, I'm just looking at the clouds. Okay, that's good because that's, that's what I'm doing. You know, this rag bag, ragtag bunch all stand there craning their necks. It's as if God realises they still haven't got it. And in his grace, sends two angels. Two angels appear with them. And I love that rather than reveal themselves in the sky, which have been really helpful. Ah, see, we were right to look up there. There's the angels telling us what to do. No, they just turn up next to them. You can almost imagine the angels joining them going, so what is it that you guys are looking for? Oh, ah, so, yeah, well, just wondering if that, Little fluffy white cloud up there might be Jesus. We uh, perhaps not. No, no. You know, you can imagine them looking up with them and just thinking, "What are you guys up to?" But the angels grab their attention and they tell them clearly, "Stop staring at the sky, guys. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, you're not going to be needing to squint at the clouds. You're not going to need to worry about it. He's going to come back in glory, just as he left. You see, indeed, when Jesus does come back, folks." Everyone will know about it. It's humbling to think on that day. He will bring about the fullness of his kingdom. His kingdom will come in all its fullness. The reign of Jesus will be in all its fullness then. And then the mission of the church will be done. Your mission, my mission, our mission together, the mission of God's people to reach the lost will be finished. It's too late then to say, oh, I wish we'd try harder. I didn't realise it would be over so soon. We don't know the day when Jesus is coming back, but we do know when that day comes, then our mission is over. We can't then say, well, can I have another go? This is the clarion call to the church. Be my witnesses until I come again. The very same call resounds to us today, to our generation. Yet as I look at this little bunch of ordinary people, I get the sense that they probably felt far from up to the call. My guess is not only were they largely clueless, but they probably also felt exhausted. I'll be quick now. If we can go to the next slide. We read that they now return back to Jerusalem and they go to hang out together in the upstairs room. And I'd love to tell you that they were like a crack team of soldiers, trained and poised now, ready at a moment's notice to go. But... Like a, po- like a coiled spring, if you like, full of potential energy, ready to burst into life when the whistle blows and the door opens. But humanly speaking, I simply don't think that's probably what they were like. We read here a roll call of old familiar names. You've got Peter, the foot in mouth fisherman, James and John, the hot headed twins, Matthew, the unpopular tax collector, Thomas, it's known as the doubter, and Jesus, his mum's there, and the women too, and Jesus' siblings, there's a vulnerability in this list. These aren't superheroes. No, these are just the same ragtag bunch of ordinary folk that Jesus had called three years before, the same ones that had got it wrong so often. And now it seems without him, they're genuinely far out of their depth. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were also exhausted. You see, after everything they've been through, the intense experience of Three years training with Jesus, the emotional impact of giving up home and jobs and security, the extreme ups and downs they'd faced together and the 
together the criticisms, the oppositions, the threats, the wonder and awe of utter miracles, the utter trauma at his suffering and death, and then the exhilaration at his resurrection. They've had quite a journey, but now there's an emptiness in the room. Jesus is gone. It must have been a very strange feeling that week in his absence, like the eerie quiet after a party when everyone's gone home, the flat after the adrenaline. Perhaps they felt like they actually had little more to give. Perhaps if someone had walked into the room and said, right, let's get cracking, they'd have all sighed. We'd say in today's day and age that they probably needed a holiday for a month, maybe a year. Far from a coiled spring, they were probably more like a deflated balloon. I wonder, do you recognise that feeling this morning? Perhaps that's how you're feeling after this year, and I think many are. The thought of everything ramping up again, well, for a few, there is probably a sense of, yes, I can't wait, but for many, many others, there's going to be a sense of, well, I'm not sure I can cope with the thought of it all getting busy again. Perhaps as we look upon this fairly clueless and probably exhausted group of disciples, we really do empathise with them. Perhaps we too feel like that. I don't know if I can do this next stage. I don't know if I have the strength. I need a holiday for a month or a year or actually let's make that a decade. But what if I was to tell you this morning that that was actually the very place those early disciples needed to be? That this was exactly what they needed to feel if Jesus was going to build his church. Humanly speaking, empty, exhausted, totally aware that they simply couldn't do it themselves. And perhaps that's exactly the place God has brought many of us to right now. Because when we're empty humanly, it's then that we become hungry for God. And I want to finish with this thought. The next slide, please. You see, on their own, this little group would get nowhere. On their own, there would be no church, no mission, no fruit, no joy. And they knew it. And so we read that they just joined together constantly in prayer. They just kept crying out, Lord, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord Jesus, come and be with us. They were hungry. And if history has taught us anything, it's when people, God's people are hungry for God, that he loves to come and fill us up. You see, each one of them was known and loved by Jesus. It wasn't a mistake that they were there. Each one of them had a part to play in the mission of the church that lay ahead. Indeed, this little group were about to change the world. But to use the words of the prophet Isaiah, it was not by might, nor by human power, but by the spirit of God that they would do it. And so this is where the church started, with a wonderful promise from Jesus saying, I will be with you. And a bunch of people who didn't have a clue and knew they couldn't do it even if they did. But a bunch of people that were hungry for Jesus and cried out for his presence. Friends, as we go forward, as we step into the plans that we have to worship in person once more in the building from the 27th of June, as we step into a new season of mission and ministry in a world that has changed and continues to change, as we seek to see lives transformed by Jesus, and as we recover from the year that we've been through and seek to prepare ourselves for the challenges that lie ahead, let's start by recognising more than anything we need Jesus. His plan, not ours. His strength, not ours. His presence before we take a single step. As we're honest about our tiredness and our anxiety, if we're feeling weary or unsure, I want to say to you this morning, don't give up. Don't drop back. Don't walk away. 
Don't drop off every commitment you've made and despair or criticize or look for fault or get cross or angry. But let's get hungry. Hungry for more of Jesus. Hungry for more of his spirit at work among us. Hungry for his renewing, his strength, his gift, his miracles, his power, his breakthroughs, his thoughts, his ways. Let's get praying. Let's get worshipping as individuals in our life groups and as we gather together as church on the run up to coming back to the building. Because when God's people cry out for more of him, he loves to come and fill us afresh. There's no doubt that the Lord's doing a new thing and church will never be the same again. But you and I are known. You and I are loved by Jesus. It's not a mistake. Each one of us has a part to play in the mission that lies ahead. But not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of God. Let's pray, shall we? Just want to invite you, if you are feeling exhausted this morning, if the thought of ramping up again makes you want to go and lock yourself in a cupboard and hide away, if you're feeling like you're not quite sure which way up to hold the map, which way's forward and which way's back, and if you're feeling like you can't do it in your own strength, then you're in good company this morning. And I invite you, let's get hungry for Jesus. Just hold out your hands if you want to at home for a moment. If you know you need more of him, then hold out your hands in front of you. It's just a way of saying I'm open. And let me pray. Loving Jesus, we know as we step forward, we can't achieve anything without you. You have called us to be your witnesses, to join you in your mission, to see your kingdom come. But Lord, let us not leave this place unless your spirit, your presence goes with us. And Lord, as we hold our hands out now, we just say to you, we are hungry. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us afresh, even this morning. Come and give us strength and hope and joy. Come and set in us a fire again to see more of Jesus. To see more of Jesus at work among us. His ways, not ours. His strength, not ours. Come Holy Spirit. Come and touch and renew. Come and refresh. Come and strengthen. And come set a fire ablaze in us again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.